Why, hello there. Welcome to Madams of Murder. The archive is open and your brain will be too. It's your host, Madam M. Let's get into the files. Alrighty, let's jump into the first file today. This first file is from deep down into our murder archives, and this is on Madame LaLaurie. As you can probably tell by my voice, I am a little nervous to talk about her case. I think her case is one of the more interesting ones I have seen uh, on my research simply because she acts so strangely, and I hope that you understand what I mean by strangely as soon as you're done with this episode. That's your goal. So let's first off start with some family history and just some basic knowledge about who she was. So Marie Delphine McCartney was born in New Orleans, Spanish Louisiana on March 19th of 1787. She's one of five children and her father was an Irish immigrant coming from Ireland around 1730. He then married uh, Madame LaLaurie's mother who had already been married once so she was then dubbed the widow of Lecomte because that was her first marriage. Um, Louis B. McCartney, uh, Madame LaLaurie's father, was her second marriage, as I previously stated. Both of Delphine's parents were prominent in the town's European Creole community. Her uncle, by marriage, uh, was governor of the Spanish-American provinces of Louisiana and Florida during 1785 through 1791, uh, and her cousin was actually the mayor of New Orleans from 1815 to 1820. But at approximately the age of four years old, Delphine's uncle actually re reached a really desperate end. He ended up being swept up in the backlash and the dirt of the Haitian Revolution, which erupted in 1791. This is something that made the slaveholders in the southern United States and the Caribbean very, very afraid of slave revolts, much like in Haiti. Um, Delphine's uncle had actually been murdered in 1771 by his own slaves, and the revolution had been inspired by the local Mina conspiracy in 1791, the Point Coupe conspiracy in 1794, and the German Coast Uprising in 1811, all of which caused many, many slaveholders to discipline their slaves even more harshly out of the fear of insurrection. Essentially, that means slaves got tired of being treated like nothing and went up to their slave masters and pretty much said, you ain't shit, and killed them, or uh, caused some form of bodily harm that was relatively long-lasting. Some even deeper uh, information on Delphine is that at the age of 13, on June 11th, 1800, she was married away to Don Ramon de Lopez y Angulo. He was actually a high-ranking Spanish royal officer at the St. Louis Cathedral in New Orleans, Louisiana. Um, as it was spelled in Spanish is L-U-I-S-I-A-N-A, -A, um, which I thought was an interesting thing to mention. It also had become a Spanish colony in the 1760s after France was defeated in the Seven Years' War. In approximately 1804, after the American acquisition of what then was a French territory, Don Ramon had been appointed to the position of Council General for Spain in the territory of uh, Orleans. And he was called to appear to the court of Spain, but while he was en route to Madrid with Delphine, who at the time was pregnant, Don Ramon suddenly died in Havana. Um, and a few days after his death, Delphine gave birth to their daughter, her very first child, um, who they nicknamed the Borgida. And the widow, Delphine, and her child soon returned to New Orleans after his death. 
but she didn't wait too long because her second marriage and the death of her second husband also followed relatively quickly after the marriage and death of her first. So in June 1808, Delphine married another man named Jean Blanc. Uh, he was a banker, a merchant, a lawyer, a legislator, very well known in the town. Uh, at the time of the marriage, Blanc had purchased a house on 409 Royal Street in New Orleans for his family, which later became known as the Villa Blanca. Uh, Delphine also had four children by Blanc, one named Marie, one named Louise, another one named Marie, except this is Marie Louise Janine. I don't know why you needed to name your other daughter the same after your first one, but anyways, and then the third is Jean Pereira Pollon Blanc, um, but unfortunately Blanc died in 1816, so their marriage wasn't really long, it was probably about eight years or so. She doesn't stop there. She keeps going and she was married again in a third marriage on June 25th of 1825. She married her third husband and physician, um, Leonard Louis Nicholas LaRie. And LaLaurie, you will see mentioned all throughout this podcast because he was actually kind of her namesake and is actually really big in her story. It's very important. Um, they managed to have... Um, a property on Royal Street, same street as before, except this one is 1140 Royal Street. Um, she also managed to get this all in her own name with very little involvement from her husband, which at the time was very rare. In 1832, she had a two-story mansion built on that plot of land. It was complete with attached slave quarters, which is very important to remember for later on, so don't forget that part. She lived there with her third husband and two of her daughters and maintained a central position in New Orleans society relatively low-key, but not too high up there in the rankings. The marriage soon showed signs of strain. However, on November 16th, 1832, Delphine petitioned the first judicial district court for a separation from bed and board of her husband. So, in more, you know, normal terms for what we would hear, um, separation from bed and board of her husband means she wanted a divorce. She didn't want to live with him. She didn't want to have any of his names on her documents. She wanted to be free from him and everything he possessed. Um, Delphine claimed that LaLaurie, quote unquote, treated her in such a manner as to render their living together unsupportable. Uh, her son and two of her daughters also back this claim. The separation didn't really last long because as Dr. LaLaurie was present at the Royal Street house, on the day of the fire, um, I want to get into the torture and the murder of the slaves in the 1834 La Laurie Mansion fire, which is really the meat and the potatoes of this podcast episode. So, according to multiple accounts that we have seen, Delphine Lowry's treatment of her slaves between the years of 1831 and 1834 are relatively mixed because many people are writing in 1838 recounted tales told by New Orleans residences during their visits. Uh, they claimed that Lalaurie's slaves were observed to be quote-unquote singularly haggard and wretched. However, in public appearances, Lalaurie was seen to be generally really polite to black people and so self-conscious about her slaves' health, making sure that they were in constant health and that they were constantly being upkept and looking presentable. So, we also look at funeral registers between 1830 and 1834, that same time period, and this documents the death of 12 slaves at the Royal Street Mansion. Although the cases of the deaths aren't really mentioned and infectious diseases most likely could have been the cause of their deaths, there are 12 deaths. 
12 deaths for, you know, a four-year time period seems a little exaggerated and a little crazy. Um, there was one slave known as Bone. Uh, Bone had previously belonged to a refugee from St. Uh, Domingo and was described in her sale as a quote-unquote chronic runaway with an influx of white and free-colored Santo Domingo refugees and their slaves. The fear of slaves in the St. Domingo presence still lingered in Louisiana. So that was still a very big issue. Um, unfortunately, she was one of the 12 that they found buried on the property. She was pa um, unfortunately passed away. Court records of the time showed that LaLaurie freed two of her slaves, uh, Jean Lewis in 1819 and Da Vinci in 1832. But according to multiple people recounting stories, LaLaurie's mistreatment of her slaves was sufficiently widespread, so much so that a local lawyer was dispatched to the Royal Street residence to remind LaLaurie of the laws for the upkeep of her slaves. But, unfortunately, during this visit, the lawyer found absolutely no evidence of wrongdoing or mistreatment by the slaves, uh, of the slaves of LaLaurie. My apologies. Uh, this lawyer also recounted other tales of LaLaurie's cruelty and that the, they were current among New Orleans residents in about 1836. Um, so, obviously, this was a current knowledge. It was widespread, publicly known, and it was honestly baffling to lots of people that the lawyer didn't find anything. Um, this writer says, she said that subsequent to the visit of the lawyer, one of LaLaurie's neighbors saw one of the slaves, a girl about eight years old, fall to her death from the roof of the Royal Street Mansion while trying to avoid punishment from a whip-welding LaLaurie. The body was subsequently buried on the mansion grounds. So, this just dives even deeper into the reasoning of LaLaurie's suspicious behavior. She was very cautious and very courteous to black people and the slaves she saw out on the street, but when she got behind closed doors, she was abusive and belittled and degrading her slaves despite the laws that say she has to upkeep their health. Um, there are multiple accounts as well as that about a child at the age of 12 years old uh, whose name was Leah, L-I-A or L-E-A-H, uh, depending on what slave letter you read, um, elaborates on the on this case saying that Leah had been uh, brushing Delphine's hair when she hit a snag, causing LaLaurie to grab a whip and chase her around the premises of the property, which is absolutely insane because that is not a willingful punishment, um, nor is it even appropriate to do that to one of your slaves with the upkeep laws. So according to all of this, there noticed some other discrepancies. There were nine slaves um, that were bought back from, uh, to the LaLaurie's despite previously being found of like negligence and cruelty, uh, which baffled me that she was able to buy the back those same nine slaves. Um, similarly, a writer recounted the stories that LaLaurie kept her cook chained to a kitchen stove and she used to beat her daughters when they would attempt to feed the slaves. But that's not even the worst part. The worst part occurs on April 10th of 1834. On this day, a fire broke out in the LaLaurie residence on uh, Royal Street. Start, it started in the kitchen, but when police and the fire marshals got there, they found a cook and a 70-year-old woman chained to the stove by her ankle. Uh, LaLaurie, uh, LaLaurie's slave originally said that she started the fire as a suicide attempt because she feared being punished. She said that the slaves had been taken to the uppermost room and they never came back. So the uppermost room would have most definitely been the slave quarters, but it probably would have been a very, very small room. I would say your expectations of like a 10 by 10 foot room 
were even way too big for that. If you go to your house and you like look at your little closet, like your coat closet in your you know living room, that was probably what the room in your mind looks like, but it probably was a little bit bigger than that seeing as there were multiple people in there at one time. Um, as reported to a newspaper at the time, the New Orleans Bee, on April 11th of 1834, bystanders that had reported um, that they had approached the fire attempted to enter the slave quarters to ensure that everyone had been evacuated. But upon being refused the keys by the Lowlerys, the bystanders had to break down the door to the slave quarters, and what they found is absolutely horrendous. The article quotes, Seven slaves, more or less horribly mutilated, suspended by their necks, with their limbs apparently stretched and torn from one extremity to the other. So if you imagine, like, people making those medieval, like, torture jokes where they would, like, stretch people out, that's exactly what she was doing. She was hanging them by their necks and like stretching their arms all the way out and stretching their legs all the way out so much so that like their ligaments and their muscles would tear, which is absolutely horrendous and is torturous. These slaves also have claimed to be there for several months at a time and that this wasn't their first time being there. Uh, one of those that entered the premises was Judge Jean Francis Conagag. It's a French name. I'm so sorry. Um, he subsequently disposed to having found in the Lollery Mansion, among others, um, an N-word wearing an iron collar and an old N-word woman who had received a very deep wound on her head who was too weak and wasn't able to walk. Uh, the same lawyer also said that when he questioned the Lollery's husband about the slaves, he was told in an insolent manner some people had better stay at home rather than come to others' houses to dictate laws and meddle with other people's business. So this is kind of just setting the family up for failure because you're just kind of letting them know, oh yeah, we did it, but you guys should stay at home. You shouldn't come and bother with us, which is honestly terrifying. Um, another version of this story began circulating in 1836, as recorded uh, by a writer I previously mentioned, adding that the slaves were emaciated, showing signs of being flayed with a whip, were bound in restrictive postures, and wore spiked iron collars, which kept their heads in static positions. Uh, everyone's probably seen a photo of those. They kind of go around your neck, and then they have like... Um, they have kind of a little like dome shaped thing that goes around the head and has little spikes on the inside that's forcing your head to stay still. So if you want to move your head from like side to side, you have to move your entire body because your head doesn't move. It's kind of if you were to solidify your neck and face in concrete and then try to live and breathe and all that stuff, you don't really move. It doesn't really work that way. When the discovery of the abused slaves became common knowledge and was, like, publicly known, uh, it was the residence was demolished and destroyed, and everything upon which they could lay their hands on was ruined by protest. This uh, is demonstrating that everyone that found out about the mistreatment of the slaves decided, we're gonna fuck some stuff up and destroyed the entire residence. The slaves were taken to a local jail where they were available for public viewing because some people just had to convince themselves of the damaging that had been done to these slaves. It was something that they just absolutely couldn't baffle. It was mind-boggling to them. Something else that I think is rather interesting is there were about 4,000 people that had to convince themselves that this actually happened. They couldn't just read it in the news or see it on their, you know, newspaper or hear it, you know, by news via word of mouth. They had to actually go and, like, look at these slaves and put them through 
this awful, awful process of reliving everything over and over and over again. But according to letters from LaLaurie's children, they escaped. LaLaurie herself just kind of up and left. She went from Alabama, Mobile, Alabama, yeah, to Paris after a few years and wrote to her friends and her children saying, hey, I'm going to come back. Like, I really miss New Orleans. And everyone was like, no, like, don't come back. That's such a bad idea. Why would you come back? That's awful. Um, no, why would you ever do this? Like, your reputation is forever ruined. Um, so she eventually canceled her plans and never, ever, ever came back. So much so that she ended up dying. Uh, the original French records of Paris say that LaLaurie died on December 7th of 1849 at the age of 62. Um, and now this is my commentary. Yes, I've been giving commentary through the entire podcast, but I think this is one of the most important parts because this is unfiltered, raw, straight fact from my brain. <laughs> um, I'm going to detail the family history first. I'm going to tackle that issue. I think that issue is relatively amazing because I think karma works in wonderful ways and karma really showed up for LaLaurie's uncle. He was murder, you know, he was hurting these slaves and possibly killing them by overworking them. And the slaves during the revolt were like, nah, like, we're not going to do this anymore and killed him. I think it's so funny, the irony of this man owning slaves and then his slaves being like, you're not shit. Like, you can't touch us anymore. You know, we're going to give you the same treatment you give us is blissfully hysterical. Because I'm not condoning, like, murder of any kind, but I am condoning karma working her wonderful magic, and she most definitely did that this time. Uh, my opinions now on what Madame LaLaurie actually did to her slaves, I think it's disgusting. Like, most cases you hear about murder or torture or serial killers or whatever, like, there's some aspect of it that's fascinating, but I think that this case is genuinely disgusting. Like, researching it made my stomach absolutely turning and turn green and, you know, do somersaults. I felt disgusting just reading it. There are photos uh, that I will have up later on my Instagram before I release my next episode that show what the suspected torture room would have looked like at the LaLaurie La Mansion. Oof, I have said that so many times. I apologize. I've said that name so many times. Um, that the LaLaurie Mansion would have looked like for that little torture room. And it's diabolical. It is so disgusting. It's like stacked from floor to ceiling with just torture toys. And it makes your heart just melt and break because you don't understand how one person could do that to another until you like research it and you go through it. And, you know, you see all of these details about why they did this, you know, how they did it, when all of these, where, all of these things, how they did it even, you know, the iron collars, the static head chambers. It's honestly so disheartening and it's really sick to my stomach. I think that LaLaurie and her family really, really messed up because not only did they practically confess their own, you know, damage, but they then went about their lives as if nothing had happened, as if 
the slaves that they had lost meant absolutely nothing. Granted, they probably did mean nothing to them at the time, but I think it's disgusting that they didn't even bat an eye. They just carried on about their day, especially as they were accused multiple times of negligence or uh, cruelty of, you know, gross care for their slaves or the lack of upkeep. I think it's awful that they just kept going about it. They were like, oh yeah, we're going to get caught, but whatever. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, how do you just ignore that? Uh, I also think it's kind of crazy that the original mansion in New Orleans, um, occupied by LaLaurie, didn't survive. The lore is, though, that the impressive mansion at 1140 Royal Street on the corner of Governor Nicholas Street, uh, formerly known as Hospital Street, is commonly referred to the LaLaurie or Haunted House, uh, is, is not the, actually the same building that was inhabited by LaLaurie. It was rebuilt in order to look like the building that LaLaurie was in. Uh, the mob actually burned it down in 1834 and remained, and it remained in a ruined state for at least another four years. It was then rebuilt in 1838 and assumed uh, the appearance that it has today. And it stood like that for the rest of its, you know, existence. Uh, it was used as a public high school, a, a, co a concert hall, an apartment building, a refuge for young delinquents, a bar, a furniture store, a luxury apartment building... Um, the dwelling on the third floor and like in the back rear of the building was added in the late 19th century. Uh, and the rear building on Governor Nicholas Street, which only had one floor until a second one was added later in the 20th century, was fully remodeled in 1970 when the second floor interior of the building was done over by Conch and Wilson Architects. Uh, they also added another third story, and it was described in 1828 as the tallest building for squares around. Uh, it also resulted in many controversies, and people now try to stay there because it genuinely is haunted by Madame LaLaurie or her slaves. So please, 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 I promise you it's going to be worth your while if you stick around and watch the rest of this podcast. That's all we have time for today. Sleep tight, and remember... Beware of things that go bump in the night.